What do we stand to gain as we wander down those paths we never planned to travel? What do we stand to lose if we allow ourselves to get caught up in the uncertainty of it all? The requirement of faith may seem to be a steeper and steeper climb as we forge our way forward into the second coming of Christ. But it really is in the simplicity of it all that we will always find peace, healing, and ultimately, salvation. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. For me, wandering includes not knowing where I'm going. Uh, it includes um, maybe asking questions because I don't know where I'm going. It might even include feeling lost. I think we often think of wandering in the physical sense as in lost and confusion, but we can also feel that in other areas of our lives. It's not just always physical. And I love knowing that we're not ever wandering alone because of our Savior Jesus Christ. I think we learn about our strengths in the midst of wandering when we find things that we can celebrate. I also think we learn about our weaknesses. When we're wandering, I feel like that's a super important time when the Lord can teach us. Because we don't know exactly what to do, a lot of times we have to use our own wisdom and judgment. In addition to that, counsel with the Lord and listen to what He has to tell us. Welcome everyone, thank you for being here today. The topics for our discussion today come from our studies in Numbers chapters 11 through 14 and chapters 20 through 24. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is the wisdom of our wanderings. And the second topic is, if I look to Jesus Christ in faith, he can heal me spiritually. And to help us with our discussion topics, we wanna to first welcome back our returning scholar, Melissa Inouye. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, so good to be here again. Uh, Melissa is a historian with the church history department. And uh, our special guest today is Aaron Holmes. Aaron is the director of the School of Family Life at BYU. Aaron, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to see how this conversation unfolds. So let's get a recap. What is happening with the Israelites right now? They were, in, they were traveling in the desert in this very stressful situation. And there were a lot of them. There were you know, 600,000 men, which meant that there are probably just as many women and children, or probably more, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So this huge number of people, and um, it, it's just really hard to kind of manage such a large group. I, I don't think they really knew where they were going. So they leave Egypt, having been freed from bondage, and following Moses, and believing that Moses will be able to lead them to this place called the Promised Land, but they're not really sure where it is. They don't actually know how much time it's gonna take them to get there. And I think those things contribute to the uncertainty that's cropping up for them. They genuinely don't know where they're headed. You know, something that is interesting is they, they start to think back to their life of slavery yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a manner of like, if we could only go back to Egypt where we could eat all the fish we know we wanted, <laughs> yeah. right? I really like this passage. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lasting. The children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? <sighs> Um, and in, a, in verse 5, um, in another translation I have, um, it says, we remember the fish which we ate in Egypt for free. Because um, they were slaves. Mm, they were right. given food. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Well, I think that there's a lot of application as we, 
as we look at the uh, the Israelites and they're complaining, um, they're murmuring, we get a sense of um, ingratitude. So I wanted to throw this out to the audience. Why do you think God is so offended by our ingratitude? Randy. I think we lose perspective sometimes when we're reading the Old Testament. Uh, God is omniscient. He wasn't surprised by what they were doing. And it took 40 years because he knew it would. And by the time you go through this generation, they've got a clue now as to what, you know, what they're supposed to do, uh, what faith is, what, uh, what obedience to God's will is all about, what sacrifice is. That's good insight. Thank you so much for sharing that, Randy. Yeah. You asked a question of ingratitude. What's yeah. so bad about it? Well, I think um, from my current perspective, um, I'm, I'm not living in, in the Bronze Age um, with the view of God that they had. Mm -hmm. But from my current perspective and from what I understand about God in my life, ingratitude um, is, can be toxic. Mm. And, and I, here again, I draw my own experience of um, you know, having a, a, a very serious illness, um, people saying, you, know, you have a very small percentage chance of living, you'll probably be dead in a year. Um, in those kinds of situations, being kind of negative and thinking, oh no, my life is so horrible, I'm gonna die, I'm going to die, that can really actually kill you. Mm. And, um, and I think what kept me, for, like, I, I did go to those places many times, but like, but what kind of brought me out and kind of kept me moving on and doing the things that would save my life were, this, were, were gratitude and mm. um, appreciation and a sense of faith that um, there was still good stuff, even though it looked so horrible. So, mm. so I think like, murmuring or complaining in, in a life-threatening situation, as the Israelites were, um, can, be, can be deadly. So what's the Lord's reaction within this particular story of their complaints? Well, it, I actually kept a little log of, <laughs> oh, wow. of the different <laughs> times. Wow, so, look at that. At first, they generally complain, and God sends fire to the camp. Oh, this is also mm. the kind of funny thing. They, like, name these places, like, after the, the calamity that happened to them. Okay. Um, they're tired of the manna, and they want meat. And so then, um, you know, God kind of said, you want meat, I'll give you meat. And so then, like, there's, like, quail, you know, thick on the ground, like, you know, this high off the ground, just nothing but quail. Um, and then yeah. while the flesh is still between their teeth, while they're like yeah. chewing on the quail meat, um, God sends a plague and then lots of them die. And they name that place um, the Graves of Lust. And God wants to smite everyone with pestilence. Um, and, and then Moses and Aaron say like, no, don't kill everyone. Just, just give us some time. Anyway, this happens over and over again. And, and so there's, there's some pretty severe responses. Like in one of these plagues, um, 14,700 people die before Aaron is able to kind of make atonement and like get, get God to be appeased and to stop. I do like that often in these stories, people are finding their way back, often through Moses, as you were saying. Um, I think that's a fundamental part of um, the wisdom of our wanderings, finding our way back to the Savior. Um, and so I've just kind of been reflecting a little bit about that. What's the nature of our relationship to God? What's the nature of um, God's view of who we are and what our purpose is here on the earth? Those kinds of questions are embedded in these stories for me. Okay, so why is it that, why does God react that way as far as the, the sin of ingratitude? Sometimes it's not completely ingratitude. It's just it's just that you remember things differently mm -hmm. when you're in a new situation. So for example, um, 
anyone who's had like a super chronic, possibly life-threatening illness knows once you get that diagnosis, your whole your whole outlook changes. And um, and I've like learned a lot since my cancer diagnosis in 2017. But um, sometimes I like look back on like before that, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, like life was so good, and I didn't <laughs> have to like worry about dying and leaving my children motherless, um, which is true. But um, but but at the same time, I, I can also think like when I'm being very um, not rational, but very like spiritual. When, I, when I'm really thinking about what's important, I can I also think how like if that person that I was at that time was a totally different person mm-hmm. and. And much more selfish, and and actually kind of judgmental of people who had um, health problems. Like I'd be like, oh, don't be so like weak, you know, just like be tough. Um, but you know, now I, I see that person that I was, and I think that that was not so good. And so maybe that was kind of like my version of being mm-hmm. like, I could eat fish for free, you know, like I could, I, I didn't have any troubles, which meant in a way that I I didn't care about people and I wasn't connected to people who were experiencing trouble. And as a matter of fact, I felt completely like not like people who are experiencing trouble, which is actually kind of a tragedy for me. Your story kind of reminded me of a story in my own life. Um, In a devotional I gave at BYU, I spoke openly about experiences I've had with infertility and with miscarriages. Um, But I, I was experiencing one particular miscarriage. It was very painful. I was having a lot of complications in my body. And I asked my husband and uh, my dad to give me a blessing. And the blessing kind of the crux of the blessing was, you're gonna be okay, and these experiences you're having now will be able to help other people. And I was mad. <laughs> I was like, what? I, 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 was like, I was like, maybe I wanted to hear I was gonna have another baby. Maybe I, you know, and things were gonna be okay. Maybe I wanted to make sure things that were happening in my body that, would be, that made me fear I wouldn't be able to have more children were gonna be okay. Or I just wanted to hear that God loved me or something. And I was like, what? You're giving me this lousy experience and then I'm supposed to use it to help other people? But I realized, like you, that I actually couldn't have helped people in some of the same ways um, had I not had the experience I had. I did learn more about pain, grief, sorrow, um, my own physical infirmities in ways that I could not have known those things had I not experienced them personally. And do you have a specific example of a time when you have been able to help somebody through your experience? I do. So um, one of the things that happens when you're a professor at BYU is you often have students who might experience a pregnancy, Mm. a little different than professors in other places. Um, So I had gone through that experience, had actually had surgery, was still healing. I was kind of nervous to come back. I didn't really feel fully functional, to be honest. Um, And I came back and I was in the classroom and I was teaching about something that I'm sure was not emotionally moving in any way. And I noticed a student in my classroom who was crying. Um, And in fact, she couldn't hold her tears back. She stood up and she walked out. And I found out in in that time that she had just gone to the doctor, found out some really hard news about a pregnancy that she was having at that time. Um, There were complications. She wasn't sure if her baby was gonna make it. She wasn't sure what that was gonna mean or how she was gonna survive. And we just sat in my office and we cried. And we cried together because I knew exactly what she was feeling. And in that moment, my ability to understand her gave me space to just sit and be with her, to hear her cry, to cry with her, and to offer her comfort, to show her, you know, I know exactly how you feel. I was in a similar place before, but look at where I am now. I'm not perfect. I'm not totally fixed, but I'm making it, and you can make it too. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. If we constantly recognize how the Lord is there to bless us, I think it really does help us connect to these stories in the scriptures. So how has gratitude helped you through a difficult situation? Michael. I uh, hurt my back. I had a pretty bad back injury, and so I couldn't sit anymore. Um, I read a lot of things online that said, this doesn't heal, back surgery will make you worse. It's just, you're kind of in a bad situation. And so I was like, wow, okay, all right. Didn't expect this to happen, you know? Uh, something I would do, that something I, uh, a habit I've kept up from my mission is to write in a journal, a little thankful, think a journal every single night and just see what the Lord had done for me that day. And I remember writing in some of those times and, and kind of coming to some more realizations about my situation is like, well, you know what? At least I can still move. You know, that's pretty good. At least I can still, I still have my personality. You know, I mean, like there's that. Um, there's so much more that I had. And it, it was very, it was such a blessing and a strength when it felt like the whole world was being taken away. Do you feel like, you, there's an increase in the influence of the Holy Ghost in your life as you express gratitude? Absolutely. I consider it, at least to me in my life, like just as important as prayer and just as important as reading my scriptures every day for my own personal spiritual well-being. And that brings a lot of hope and a lot of faith and a lot of strength um, just for whatever I'm going through. When we feel gratitude to God, that means we're appreciating what our Heavenly Father and Mother are doing for us. And only when we appreciate and are aware of, you know, what they do, can we become more like them. I really do think it does uh, line up with what we're doing today. You know, we are all wanderers trying to navigate through this life. And we have a prophet who is leading us. And there are going to be times where we have to exercise faith and, you know, to understand that he has been called and everything he said isn't going to be perfect. And that makes you feel good because neither are we. So thanks for your insights on this discussion of the wisdom of our wanderings. Two, three weeks ago, my, my mother-in-law was really sick. And, and uh, we were really concerned that she was not going to make it because she had a lot of health problems. And this time she got really, really, really sick. So my husband um, called her bishop and then decided to go to the hospital and give her a blessing. Um, and um, so a few days after she was, she was back home. And, uh, and it, was, it was amazing because we honestly didn't think that she was, she was gonna make it. So the second topic we're going to discuss is, if I look to Jesus Christ in faith, he can heal me spiritually. And we have a question from one of our viewers that's gonna springboard us into this discussion. I'm Monica from Tennessee, and I do have a question. As I'm reading about the Israelites, I just get frustrated with them sometimes thinking, can't you all just listen and obey and have faith and trust in the prophet? But then I wonder, how do I know that I have the faith that I need to trust in the prophet, to stay true to the gospel, regardless of the trials that might come? That's a really good question. How do we know if we have the faith to trust a prophet and stay true to the gospel and trials? This actually makes me think about a personal experience I had. Um, 
I, I had given a devotional at BYU, and the devotional was um, a really great experience and a wonderful space for me to reflect on some of the meaningful principles of the gospel that I really believe in. Um, and then after I gave that devotional, something really hard happened to my family. My daughter's best friend died, and it was a tragic, um, unexpected death, and there was trauma associated with the death. And I thought, oh, I'm going to turn to my devotional. I'm going to remember those things. Unfortunately, in that moment, they didn't help me. Something that happened to me a few days after that experience was um, my sister and my niece invited me to go out to a timeout for women um, kind of experience because it was supposed to be this spiritual, renewing, fun time. And um, in the moment, I was hearing all these stories about miracles that had happened, ways that people were saved, all these things. And all I could feel in my, in my moment of suffering was we didn't get that miracle. We had this remarkable tragedy that was the most painful thing I'd ever experienced in my whole life. Um, and then something really beautiful happened. First, I started crying. And it wasn't this kind of nice crying where I can maybe hold it back a little. It was like shaking my body. was, And I was sobbing for like 20 minutes in public. Very embarrassing. But my sister just put her arm around me. She held me. And she just let me cry. She didn't act embarrassed that she was sitting there with someone who was crying. She just held me. And her love for me allowed me to get out of that place I was in. I was reminded again of all of the things that happened to me in my life that helped me believe that the Savior loves me, that the Savior has compassion for me, and that the Savior would help me. And I feel a little like I was one of those Israelites in that moment, just asking, like, I'm hearing these stories about this, these miracles, and I couldn't really listen to them. But over time, through my sister's example of what I believe was truly Christ-like love and compassion, I was able to once again return to the Savior. What a beautiful example of the healing that comes as we look to the Savior. Uh, I want to ask you guys, when have you experienced healing by turning to and looking to the Savior? Payton. There have been so many times where, uh, like... Her, our special guest, Aaron. Aaron, <laughs> um, I've been sort of jealous, envious, and mad that I haven't got those same miracles. Mm. Um, I've got so much reassurance from uh, being more specific in my prayers. Sometimes just reading the scriptures, just a few more verses more than I usually do, and just being more. Uh, nice and loving to everyone around me. And that's helped me get more miracles. You know, it's kind of like, it reminds me of what Alma taught um, one of his sons. It's those small, simple things, like looking at a serpent or attending the temple or, or reading your scriptures that bring to pass some of these great miracles that can happen in our lives. Other comments? Michael. I feel like the Lord's helped me out lots of different times throughout my life. Because right now, for me, I'm finishing up medical school. I might be moving somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to be going. My life isn't exactly the way I thought it was going to go. You know, how am I going to find a, you know, somebody to settle down with, find a family, things like that. You know, there's just lots of alternatives and questions and fears. The biggest thing I, I think I've gained was he, something he taught me was to have faith in my situation, it's faith in him. 
And so what that meant was through Christ, how can I do his will where I'm at? What blessings have I gained because my life has gone this way? What miracles have I seen because I'm here? And looking at it that way, all of a sudden, the lost confusion, don't know where I'm at, what's gonna happen, all that stuff is completely gone. And it's replaced with this kind of comfort and faith and almost this, you know, this hope and this kind of excitement for the future, but also a sure like feeling of peace, knowing that I'm right where I need to be and the Lord's with me the whole time. So he healed that fear. Faith is something living. It's something that we have to keep on working at. It's something that we have to keep on reaching out for. Faith is resilient just as, as we're resilient. Our primary faith is in Christ. It's not in prophets. We're not the church of prophets of Latter-day Saints or not the church of Latter-day prophets. We're the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And our primary faith should be rooted in Christ. Mm. And we know Christ's words and we know Christ's will because Christ has given us um, his words. And um, we know that Christ has given us the comforter to, to tell us um, what's true. And um, the job of the prophets is to help us stay on track uh, because in every era, there are things that will blow us off course, like you know, too much social media, the, the dangers of things online. And what prophets do is they help us stay safe by helping us, um, helping guide us back towards Christ. And that's our, the person we ultimately have faith in. Mm -hmm. And that actually really reminds me of um, Elder Uchtdorf's talk in General Conference in October 2021. So Elder Uchtdorf begins by telling a story about uh, researchers at the Max Planck Institute, um, and they were testing whether or not a person really can just keep walking in a straight line. And essentially, these researchers found out you can't. You will, you will walk in circles. Some people truly very tight, concentric circles. Wow. While and, insisting that they were going yeah, straight. Yeah, but believing they were right. going straight. Wow. <laughs> um, and... And the message that Elder Uchtdorf gives us in that talk is that we need to be aware of that human tendency. We need to recognize that it's a real part of who we are. And then we need to recognize that the way we navigate through that aspect of our humanity is through what he calls daily restoration. And that daily restoration is just the day-to-day -day things that people keep telling us we should do. Praying, reading scriptures, um, continuing to act in faithful ways by being obedient to things that prophets invite us to do. You know, I think being willing to take those steps um, is a great sign of the faith necessary, especially during trials. And we have a perfect example in, in the scriptures. This is a very well-known story about Moses. It involves serpents. Melissa, you want to catch us up and kind of give us an overview of what we're talking about? Sure. Well, the people are smitten with fiery serpents. And um, by fiery, maybe it meant like the venom made you feel like you were on fire or something. I don't think they were like flaming serpents. But it, um, they, it says in uh, chapter 21, verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. So this is, this is part of the same cycle because just before that, um, the people said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there's no bread, neither is there any water and our soul loatheth this light bread. So again, we have this, this idea of the murmuring, the complaining, right. and the, they're dealing now with the consequences of yes. that. Okay. okay, so then 
fiery serpents, and many people died. Therefore, in chapter se uh, verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. And once again, Moses prays for the people. So again, as a leader, Moses kind of says, you know, please, you know, let's, 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 They've learned their lesson, let's stop. Um, verse eight, the Lord says to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Uh, and Moses does this and it comes to pass that if a serpent had bitten any person when they beheld the serpent of brass, they lived. And then we get more context on this story from the Book of Mormon. Did you wanna mm -hmm. talk about that? Yeah, I would love to talk about that because as I was reading this passage, um, and, uh, and I was reading about um, the same thing in the Book of Mormon. It really did offer me insight. We discover from Alma that the serpent becomes a type for the Savior. So there, from our restored scripture, we make a clear connection. We're not just talking about a serpent anymore. We're actually talking about um, who this serpent represents, and that's the Savior. And then we read... Um, we read in verse 19, Behold, a type was raised up in the wilderness that whosoever would look upon it might live. And many did look and live. I actually thought that was really valuable um, because we've been really giving the Israelites a hard time. And the reality is that many did actually look and live. In verse 22, we read, Cast about your eyes and begin to believe in the Son of God. So then we get this list here about, well, what is it? What does it mean for me to actually believe in the Savior, the Son of God? First, we see that he will come to redeem his people, that he shall suffer and die to atone for their sins, that he shall rise again from the dead, which shall bring to pass the resurrection, that all shall stand before him to be judged at the last and judgment day according to their works. So this restored scripture helps me understand who is the Savior that I would be looking to, to live. And what kind of living are we talking about? We're talking about a living that allows me to make mistakes and change and become better. A living that allows me to believe that I can live not only here in this mortal existence, but an eternal life. In chapter 37, Alma's still talking. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same discourse. And um, he's talking to his son. In 46, he says, "'Oh, my son, do not let us be slothful "'because of the easiness of the way. Yeah. For so it was with our fathers. And here he's referring back to the story of the brass serpent. For so it was it prepared for them that if they would look, they might live. Even so is, it is with us. The way is prepared. And if we will look, we may live forever. And I think um, this kind of perspective, this perspective of how struggle makes us better and more like Christ and more like our heavenly parents and leads us to eternal life um, past the kind of temporary trials of mortality, we believe that we came down to earth to experience suffering. There's um, diseases, there's viruses, there's cancer, um, hurricanes, earthquakes, mm -hmm. all sorts mm -hmm. of crazy things that happen to people. And, and it seemingly without, um, without warning, your, your whole life can just be upended because of the dangers just inherent in nature. And then, then you add like the dangers of things that people do through their agency. Right, people using their agency to harm people, um, sometimes harm themselves, sometimes not protect themselves to the point where they can die. Some of those challenges come from our own inexperience, and others of those challenges come from other people's inexperience. 
um, but regardless of the source of the challenge. We came here to the Earth knowing there would be challenges because we actually believed it would help us become better. And what does becoming better mean in our theology of suffering, as Francine Binion says, to become more like God? I think that's really important for us to remember. It really does illustrate perfectly our discussion topic, uh, which is if I look to Jesus Christ in faith, he can heal me spiritually. And thank the rest of you for your comments. I look forward to discussing more of the events in these chapters in our footnotes portion of this episode. I think the discussion was simple. Uh, it provided information that you may not have had up to that point. Uh, not everything is crystal clear as you read through the scriptures. They've done so much research and they know so much historically that it really built upon what was in the scriptures in a way that I could understand. I think it's really amazing to be in a room surrounded with people that share your same beliefs and values. And I just really always love gathering with the saints in that way. I think it's a really powerful, moving experience that invites the spirit in a really powerful way. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes, where we get to dive in a little deeper into some of these chapters. And uh, I want to talk about some things that we missed in the earlier episodes. So tell us a story about Balaam. Well, basically, um, Balaam is requested by some enemies of the children of Israel to go curse the children of Israel. And it's kind of complicated, but the basic idea is Balaam is heading off to, to um maybe do what these people have asked him to do, maybe maybe not. But apparently, um, while he's on the way to the, to the potential employers who will employ him to curse Israel, um, Balaam's riding on an ass and his two servants are with him. And it says in chapter 22, verse 23, and the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. And this happens another time. And on a third time, Balaam gets really mad. And each time he's hitting the ass with a staff. In verse 28, it says, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, what have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam, like without missing a beat, says back to the ass, because thou hast mocked me, I would that there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill thee. And so Balaam just can't see. He's completely blind to this angel of the Lord standing in the way with something quite dangerous. Um, but luckily this kind of animal who we're used to seeing is not very intelligent. It's actually very smart. <laughs> And <laughs> I see what you did there, <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> and and speaks and reasons with him, and then and then suddenly Balaam's able to see. That's kind of sobering, right? Yeah. This idea that something could be so obvious, but for whatever reason, in, in these various circumstances, um, we're blind. And and I, I know I've certainly been blind to to solutions or or to the goodness of people around me. Um, how do we? pull that wool from our eyes and, and, or, um, you know, get over the things that were keeping us from looking at the serpent and see, what do you think, Aaron? Hmm. I don't know, but I really love what, I really love what you're talking about. I never made that connection. Yeah. And that was, I love how you, how you were to do that. Cause it is true. It teaches the same principle of things that we miss that are right in front of our face sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess part of what I was thinking with this story is that sometimes we need someone to just slap us around a little bit to help <laughs> us recognize. And that kind of reminder 
or, um, or criticism um, can be constructive. Ooh, can I like that. help mm. us learn and grow. And sometimes, you know, as in this story, from an unexpected source mm-hmm. that, you know, you may have to humble yourself to, to take that sort of criticism. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, there's that, there is that kind of ironic turn in the story. So the, the first two times, there's the angel of the Lord standing there with a the sword, and the ass kind of like swerves Swerve. to the side, mm-hmm. and, and Balaam gets mad. But the third time, there's nowhere to swerve, so the ass just bows down and refuses to move. And then when Balaam finally sees the angel of the Lord, he too bows down. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a kind of um, satisfying um, symmetry in, in the actions of the ass and in the action of Balaam. Sometimes we treat our fellow beings like the ass, like they see mm-hmm. something that we don't see, but we're like, why doesn't that stupid blah, 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 <laughs> not blah, 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 blah. And then when we realize it, then we feel really dumb. If we had been in their shoes, we would have done the same thing. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder as we draw this connection with, with the serpent, you know, you wonder were there those that, you know, at times you look to somebody who did something. There was those that looked at the serpent and they were healed, right? Mm-hmm. And you wonder if there were some that were a little more hesitant to look. If it was like, why didn't I do this sooner? I could, I could have spared myself so much suffering, mm-hmm. you know, from this snake bite if I would have just, just looked and exercised uh, that faith. And this really kind of goes back to so many uh, with, with, with our first topic, there's so many lessons that we learn from wandering. What else do we get from this experience as the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness that you want to talk about? I guess I've just been thinking about my own wandering in my life. You know, 20 years ago, um, when I was a student, I didn't really know what I was going to be. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I knew I liked school, um, and I knew I would like to help people. But I also knew that I wanted to get married, I was hoping to have children, um, that I wanted my adult identity to include motherhood. And, um, and through, through life, um, I discovered those things would be a real challenge for me. And, um, and I think there were many times in my life where I had to kind of slow down, reassess, and ask God for guidance. And then when I would get guidance, I would, I would have to kind of humble myself enough when I got the guidance, when it wasn't what I was hoping for, um, that I could still find meaningful ways to move forward. I had been asking God all of these questions about um, my fertility and motherhood, hoping to receive answers um, about when I would have children or how I would be able to have children. Um, and it took a long time. I, I really didn't get those answers right away at all. At that time, I was in graduate school. I was making decisions about whether or not I would continue from my master's degree um, into a PhD program. Um, and I just got these little reassurances that helped me recognize that moving forward, getting a PhD would be meaningful. At that point in time, I had no idea that that was going to lead to um, me becoming a professor. And I definitely had no idea that it would lead to not only becoming a professor, but moving through the ranks from assistant to associate to full, and now being the director of my program. I didn't have a vision for that. God did not let me see all of the things that were out ahead of me. I just got these tiny reassurances, just enough to keep moving forward, 
a little bit. And I think, I don't know, I just really relate to the Israelites. <laughs> they want to know where the promised land is. They really, I don't think they actually want to be wandering for 40 years. Sometimes it seems like it in the story. I don't think they want to be. But they are getting these little uh, bits of guidance, um, figuring out how to move forward um, as they go along. Melissa, what do you think? What thoughts are going through your mind as we have this wide range of chapters to look at, wonderful stories, other connections you make to these lessons from wanderings? Well, I'm thinking about Aaron's story, and I'm thinking about how I, um, in a certain way, I feel like I have a, a like a reverse story sure. of what you have. Yeah, where. Um, instead of kind of like steadily advancing along my career track, um, I've, my, my professional journey has been like quite severely interrupted um, by us having to leave New Zealand so that I could come here for my cancer treatments and how, um, yeah, there were, there were things, I, you know, I prepared my whole life for a career as an academic at the university. And I taught there for about five years, and I, I loved it, uh, and I was good at it. I you know, received the university's highest award for undergraduate teaching. So I was, um, you know, I just loved it. And, and then I had to leave, and um, I haven't completely left. I'm kind of still hanging on in a kind of part-time way. But it totally changed my trajectory, and I, I can't, like, look with confidence to, like, the years of what I'm going to be doing in the future. I, I, mm. I, I believe that I have many years in the future, but just that assumption that I used to have, um, that like that was just how life was going to go, like no longer exists for me. Mm. And, and obviously I'm not just talking about my career, I'm talking about like the, the question of like, will I live or will I not live? Yeah. There's a scripture actually, um, it's where God gets really mad at the Israelites. It's in um, Numbers chapter 14, I think. The Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? So anyone who has like long-term struggles, I mean, you, you, like there's like these cycles, right? Where you're like, yay, no, yay, no. So I was on one of those like, oh no, this is it. I'm toast kind of moments. And, um, and I was so angry at God because I was like, you promised me like I would be okay. And like, how could this be happening to me if I'm supposed to be okay? This does not look okay. Um, but I went out in the mountains and I, I just like said, you know, how can you be doing this to me? Like, yeah. how, can, how can you be doing this? And, um, and I had this thought as I was kind of leaving the mountains, which came into my mind, which is just, you know, be still and know that I am God. And um, that stillness was, was what I needed. Um, and in the stillness, I was able to remember so many like outright miracles. Like, you know, there's like, I, I really was not supposed to live that much further beyond 2019. And, um, and so many things happened, like, like huge problems that like, were supposed to be there just like completely disappeared. But, but anyway, what, I, what I'm trying to say is I felt like, you know, when you're going up and down, it can be super frustrating. And uh, at times like that, like when you're in the middle of wandering, um, I'm just grateful that sometimes the Spirit is able to speak to us and to help us to remember. 
And when we remember, then we can kind of draw a line through all the points that we've been on. And then it doesn't look like wandering. Then it looks like a trail Mm -hmm. with very high altitude gain that makes you an awesome person, you know? Yeah, I agree Um, with you. Do you mind me asking, how, how are you doing now? I have a treatment tomorrow, so I'm still doing it. So you're still in it. You're still in the weeds. Still in the weeds. And looking forward, uh, what's your attitude as far as going through this process as you continue this very long healing process? Well, it kind of reminds me of the manna or of, um, mm. you know, like in the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, it's, it's not like super comfortable to live day to day. Okay. Like for, you know, for, for your life to be day to day. Yeah. Um, you know, people feel this way economically, you know, paycheck to paycheck or week to week, month to month. Um, they feel it like health wise, like, you know, I'm still alive today, still alive tomorrow. Um, they feel it in terms of their like relationships, like, mm-hmm. you know, so, but, but anyone who's been in those situations knows that it's, it's not great to not have a lot of assurance about something. Okay. But um, at the same time, when you kind of let go of the assumption that, everything is going to be smooth forever, which is, of course, a really dumb assumption. Yeah. Um, then when things happen, you don't freak out. Okay. Um, and, you know, when life-threatening things happen, now I'm like, oh, probably I'll be fine. And I have been for so long. So, so I think it's good. And, you know, when you, when you think about life, it, it is such an illusion that, like, what will be safe and secure forever, right? Buses run people over and hurricanes, you know, do things and tornadoes blow, you know, pull houses off foundations just suddenly. Mm. So, so I think it's actually quite, the more correct view is that is really encased in the Lord's prayer. Give us this day, our daily bread, just on a day-to-day basis. Um, we'll take things um, as God gives them to us. Thank you. Like your attitude is inspiring. I thank you for sharing that. It really does, you know, it draws us connections on this story of wandering and looking to Christ and that daily bread. Um, and I, I really wanted to touch on this idea of leadership. And not only with Moses, yes, he's a prophet. We touched on this a little bit. He has a very visible calling, but it's hard to lead. It's hard when people are looking to you. And within the church, I think in all levels, and you know, Aaron, you have a, a job where you are a leader. So how do we deal with the criticism, Mm -hmm. and then from those that are being led, how do we sustain those that have assignments where they have to lead and delegate um, on all levels? Well, um, I've been a leader in a variety of different settings, and I feel like every time I'm asked to lead, I start when I say yes, thinking, I got this. I've done this. I know how to do this. And then I invariably go through a period of time where I realize I don't got this. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I realize in those moments that I cannot be a good leader on my own. Mm. I genuinely need the support and strength of others. And, um, and it's a really humbling experience, but I think it's important when we're talking about being a leader or being a follower to recognize that our leaders need our support. 
Um, sometimes I think that support actually really does come in terms of criticism. Um, there are things I do that I don't do well, and I actually need people to help me figure out how to do them better. Okay. So part of being a good leader has to include my willingness to recognize I'm not actually doing it all great all the time, and that there are people around me who can help me. Okay, so do you think um, that your role as a leader has helped you become a better follower as others try to lead you? I haven't thought about it, but as you ask me the question, I do. I do think it helps me be a better follower. Sometimes I think it helps me be more patient. Okay. Um, so when someone's doing something that I disagree with, I'm able to take a step back and say, I'm sure there are more things happening mm -hmm. than I'm able to know about. I think it helps me be a better follower because also because I know it's exhausting work. And I recognize that just sending a little text to someone um, saying, hey, thanks. I, I really appreciated the fact that you organized that whole youth conference mm. or, you know, whatever it is. The primary um, program it's was really, amazing. Yeah, Thank the primary so program was amazing. Thank you so those songs to those kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, the most important person in my ward right now is my eight-year-old's primary teacher. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I really like, he's the one that I think of most when I, when I thought, who can I support? Because I'm really, I'm really invested in, in how he does. And I think sometimes we, you know, we look at certain callings and we can, well, this is more important than this. But really, when I look at um, how it affects me in my home, I mean, this amazing, righteous young man who teaches my daughter, like I'm so grateful for him. And the idea of what can I do to support him? You know, and I think it's just, maybe it is a little, thank you so much for letting him recognize how his teaching affects our lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And hopefully that can kind of boost his spirits a little bit. And Melissa, what are your thoughts on this idea of supporting, you know, uh, you know, specifically with Moses, the heat he's taking? What do you think about this? Well, we could read um, how Moses is feeling in chapter 11, um, verse 11. Um, people are, are angry. Uh, they're sad because they only have manna to eat. Uh, and Moses says unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? And then he, he kind of says, like, I feel like I'm their babysitter. I feel like, you know, <laughs> I'm their parent and, all, and I have to deal with them like, like babies. Um, and he says I am, in verse 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me the Lord um, tells him to gather 70 elders to help him bear the burden. It says, um, I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and will put it upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. So here God had to kind of muster, wrestle up a group of elders to help Moses. But we have all made covenants to bear one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. uh, we all said we would do that. And so we shouldn't have to be forced by God. We can just see where there's, um, where there's a need and, and help. Give us some specific things that we can do to bear one another's burden, specifically within our own local ward level. So my parents were always the last people to leave any ward activity. They were always the last. They were like mopping the floor and taking out the garbage. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and so... I think that that's a way to support the people who create the activity. I mean, how, how demoralizing is it to, 
um, run an activity and it's really fun and then everyone leaves and then you're stuck with the mess, right? right? That, and that's like a way I think that, that you show your love for the people who have organized that activity. Another way is when people have, uh, have opinions that um, are, are hard for you to hear. Mm -hmm. I think um, we can listen to them. I love that. That's something I, that I never thought about of supporting, you know, um, those that are, you know, put in charge, or just anybody who, with whom I'm come, I come in contact with. It's just the ability to listen to their story uh, and empathize and just uh, let them know that they've, they've been heard. When people take the time to share something with you, it's because it's really meaningful to them. It's like they're sharing a part yeah, of them with they you. They really are sharing yeah. a part of themselves with you. And when you're willing to listen, you're saying, I care about those parts of you. And to me, that really is bearing a burden with another person. So I just really like what you were saying. Well, right, I agree with you. Sometimes we have this idea, like, if members of Ainward knew what I thought, you know, they would all hate me. <laughs> but I do think that when we feel like we can be authentic with members of our ward and have them still be kind to us, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. be authentic and kind, right? We don't want to be like, I'm just going to be myself and you can just, you know, deal with it. Like, <laughs> that's, that's probably not the best attitude either. But, you know, when we can be authentic um, with each other, but also be kind and, and realize mm -hmm. that we can all be multidimensional people. And, you know, being on the wrong team in this or that or that category doesn't, like, negate us as a child of God. And we are, we are worldwide. And so there's going to be differences in, in the way that we think and act and, and believe. Listening to other people's stories opens my heart up to their experiences in a way that allows me to see them when maybe I wasn't seeing their needs before, then I may also open myself up to God's revelation about better ways for me to be. And if each of us are doing that, that's what also opens, to me at least, opens the windows of heaven for the rest of the church to continue to change. Continue to change in meaningful ways that represent our desire to have a global church, um, our desire to have an inclusive church, our desire to facilitate belonging among all members, and thinking, well, it's through their wanderings and our willingness to listen to their experience that maybe we generate something better. You know, and as I'm sitting here uh, listening to your experiences, there's, there's a common thread, there's a common theme that is beautifully illustrated in the story of Moses lifting the serpent that when we look to God, we live. Um, Aaron, how has looking to God helped you navigate through some of the trials that you've experienced in your life? Looking to God gives me faith. Looking to God gives me hope. Looking to God facilitates personal healing that I'm seeking. Um, looking to God gives me strength. Um, and in all of those ways, I think it not only helps me live, but helps me live a better life, a more meaningful life, um, because a life that includes hope and healing and faith um, is a really good life. Mm -hmm. um, That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Melissa? I'm trying to think of how to say it. I mean, it seems really trite to say when I was facing a life-threatening illness, I looked to God and mm -hmm. that helped me through it. 
right? That like everyone says that. But um, what a life-threatening illness does do is that it shows you truly what what you're afraid of mm. and what you need. Mm. And what I found I needed in the darkest days was faith. And that sounds super trite to say, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm an academic, and I, I like to think that things are nuanced and complex, and you know, there's lots of dimensions to life. But what I found uh, for all my you know, education and kind of artfully cultivated doubts and you know, criticisms <laughs> and all of sure. that stuff, I found myself clinging desperately to faith and even to this basic idea that there was actually a God. Because um, there were times also in those dark days, I asked myself, maybe it's all just made up and maybe mm. the things that I've, you know, said all my life, you know, in situations like that, maybe I realize they're just all wrong and they don't hold up because what I'm looking at is truly terrible and this is the only reality. I think my faith had given me a number of rituals. Um, obviously, there are rituals of healing, but those are not just rituals of healing and blessing. They're also rituals of connection with other people. Mm -hmm. There are rituals of, um, of togetherness, just through our kind of daily going to church and through our, our interactions with other members of the ward. There are just habits of thinking about the world, things that I learned in primary. I feel my Savior's love in all the world around me. Yeah. And I found that the structure of my faith, these different mm. layers, not just, you know, rites of healing, um, habits of being together, connection through relationships, all of those things and, and many more kind of came together and held me in a place where I could have faith. And even when I didn't have it myself, other people had it for me. Mm -hmm. That was really powerful. When I looked to God, I found that I, I, I found resources for, for life that I don't think I would have found otherwise. And I think that was life-saving. I love that. What a great way to, like you kind of hit the whole spectrum. When we look to God, we live. This really has been a great conversation because I, I love learning about, because we're all in this together. We're all wanderers. And then it all kind of comes to ahead of our second topic, which is, if I look to Jesus Christ in faith, he can heal me spiritually. So thank you so much for, for your comments. And we want to thank you for watching at home. And again, we want to remind you that if you have felt something throughout this episode uh, from the Holy Ghost, inspiring you to act, that you will take the courage to follow those promptings. Thanks again for watching. Please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.